How's it going, folks? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, another day for another great study. We're going to continue on our look at the Book of Romans, almost at the Gospel of Romans. Not quite, but it's a letter of the Apostle Paul written to the church in Rome, and he's going over some, some topics of instruction, doctrine, theology, uh, some edification. There's also some discipline here uh, of uh, warning of certain behaviors and uh, actions and attitudes and things that some people are struggling with, as we will see in chapter 2 of a warning uh, not to get caught up in these kinds of things. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens and turn with me to Romans chapter 2 verse 1. And here we're going to be going just verse by verse, point by point, is taking a look at what it says, how it's being said, and why we should apply it to ourselves for our own learning. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please by all means go ahead, ask away. <clears throat> all right, so we got quite a wintry morning today. Uh, a lot of a lot of snowfall today and it's quite cold about uh, minus uh, minus eight celsius so it's a little chilly um so i'm bundled up this morning got a new uh, sweater shirt so it's keeping me warm all right coffee's hot and ready to start some theological fires all right so please grab your bibles notepads and pens and turn with me to romans chapter 2 verse 1 and if you see anything or you'd like to go over anything yourself, um, go ahead, ask away, as long as it's uh, in accordance with the study at hand. If it's not related to the study at hand, if you could just please hold that to the next uh, study or to our next uh, Q&A or something like that. Um, I want to try to limit our rabbit trailing, which we don't usually do too well, as we're always ambling off somewhere. All right, so <laughs> Romans chapter 2. Now. If we back up and we see what the introduction in chapter 1 was all about, we see uh, Paul introducing himself and uh, showing how he is an apostle uh, by uh, the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about that and explained that. And there are some uh, crazy people out there who think that Paul was not an apostle and that all of the Pauline epistles are not scripture and we don't need to follow them. Those people are heretics, and you shouldn't listen to them at all. Don't even give them the time of day. And then we see him going on and talking about what it's all about, about the faith and about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, and it goes on to explain how there are some who, uh, who try to uh, suppress the truth, change, twist the truth. And we're going to explaining this on, on how this works, how this happens, and about... And then he goes on explaining how these individuals who have no conviction of sin, no love of righteousness, and um, neither be sinners or even those that say they profess Christ, but they show no evidence, no fruit. There's nothing there. And they're just as worldly as the, as the next sinner over. And, and how Paul gives actually a great warning in verse 32. That not only those that do these things, these sins, but those that take pleasure. And uh, this should give us something to think about. We need to be very careful. We need to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. 
No, because what is the faith all about? It's about salvation from sin, not giving us a form of license under grace and liberty to sin. So we got to be very careful. Now, after giving this warning and giving these things about how we should abstain from these things, abstain from all appearance of evil, touch not the unclean thing, have no fellowship in fruitful works of darkness, or rather expose them, we, we see that scripture goes, in Scripture here, Paul gives us a great instruction, a great warning, but then again, this somehow always brings in a form of uh, a corrupted thinking in some individuals that because they themselves don't do these things, because they themselves may, be, may have gotten saved out of it and they don't do that, that, that it can actually get in some people's heads and they become haughty and high-minded like Pharisees. And they look down on other individuals. Well, I don't do that. I, I'm not like that. And we see it in Scripture. Uh, the story of the, the Pharisee and the publican. Uh, as Jesus told about how they both went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisees, I thank God I'm not like this publican. And goes on boasting about, I do this, I do this, and look how holy I am. And the publican not so much would not so much as leave and lift his face to heaven, but beat on his chest and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Which of these two went down to his house? Justified. This justification by faith. Not works, and we see we see the uh, uh, throughout Scripture uh, again and again. This is pointed out that it's not about the doing as much as it is the understanding of the belief. It's of the heart, because anybody anybody can do good things. Anybody can try to keep the Ten Commandments and do good stuff and help in charity, help the poor, do all the religiosities and do all the traditions, do all the stuff. People could do all the things. And that doesn't mean anything. It's the, it's the attitude of the belief of the conviction of the heart that the publican was convicted. And by this, it broke him. And he saw how he was a sinner before God and that these things, and he believed by faith. He went to the Lord by faith. He didn't try to justify himself. As Jesus said to the Pharisees so often, ye are they which justify yourselves. So this goes right into Romans chapter two, verse one. So grab your Bible, Romans chapter two, verse one. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou, thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Now, in case there are some liberal-minded individuals in the audience, Paul is not saying you should not judge. Don't judge. Don't judge anyone. Don't judge anything. We are not supposed to judge. He's not saying that. Now, as Jesus pointed out, that, uh, that we are to judge. We are to judge righteously. Judge not after the appearance, but judge righteously. So we're going to be looking at this. What does this mean to judge righteously? So, there are some, you know, like those Pharisees there, and there are some in certain churches, and we've all pretty much have run into individuals like this who are quick and snappy to judge and pass judgment on things and to try to put themselves over and they go, I don't do that. Look, I do this. I don't do that. Well, I don't do that. We, we've seen it. We've heard it at least. We, we know about this kind of attitude. Now, and as Paul points out, thou that judges, you do the same thing. Now, what does he mean by this? No one's innocent. Everyone's guilty. 
everyone has disobeyed the Lord, everyone has sinned, all sin is willful sin, nobody is sinless, all are guilty. And that's the point of the faith. That's the point of the faith, that we walk by faith, not by sight, that we cannot be good enough. You cannot possibly think that you can be good enough or you can be sinless before God. Nobody's sinless. Now, there is a difference between being sinless. Uh, let me rephrase this. I'm tripping over my own tongue. Okay, so we see that some people say, well, I'm not a sinner. Okay, well, then you're saying you're better than the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 where he struggled with sin. Now, there, there is the aspect here that we are saved from the condemnation of our sin. We are saved from the condemnation of our sin. Now, the condemnation of our sin, as we see with the law, brings up an understanding. It, br it brings up a clarification. It helps us to understand how we are sinners and how we need to be saved. And it helps us to see the cross, what the point of Christ and the point of the cross is all about. Now, we have to be careful of letting this kind of thinking come into our minds to cause us to think that, well, because I'm saved from the condemnation of my sin, I'm no longer a sinner. Okay, how does that work for you? Because you can't go five minutes without sinning by way of thought, word, or action. Because as we see that the soul is saved, the flesh is not. The soul is saved, the flesh is not. Read, read Romans 7. Where he talks about, I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And then my flesh wars with my spirit and I cannot do the things I would. That our souls are saved, the flesh is not. The flesh is condemned to die. The sin is in my flesh. I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. So we see the flesh is, is full of sin, is condemned and wars against the saved soul. And we see these two war against each other. And, and, and buck against each other and fight against each other. This is why also we got to be careful about judging after appearance because the appearance is the flesh. How can you judge righteously? Give it time. Pay attention. Listen to the doctrine of the heart. For out of the heart, uh, for, for out of the heart proceeds uh, these things. For abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out? The confession of faith, the belief of doctrine, the love of Christ, the love of the brethren, the love, love of the, the saints, the love of the faith, and conviction of sin. Do you see evidence of conviction of sin? We see these things as is pointed out in the book of First uh, John. Some of the 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 uh, the flags, the things that you would look for for evidence of the saints, the evidence of salvation. So our salvation is based on faith. We walk by faith. We pray by faith. We speak by faith. We work by faith, not not by sight. It's not by the it's not by the works of the hands. So it enters the man that defiles him, but that which comes out of the heart. So we want to pay attention to the spirit, the heart of the individual. For when you look at an individual from the outward, from the flesh, all are sinners. All are going to do things wrong. Everybody does does things wrong. And so we got to be very careful how we judge and how we look at individuals. All because someone has potentially fallen into a trap, committed a sin, done something wrong. That doesn't mean they're not saved. Show me, show me a saved saint that doesn't sin. So rather we want to see, okay, if someone has done something, how do they go about fixing that? So we see, for example, by the picture here, 
of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee tried to justify himself because, because that he didn't live in these things and, and, he, and he believed that he could keep the law. He could do all these things because he did, he did, he did, he worked, he did, he, he tried to fulfill. He thought that justified him. But that is the repentance of Esau. That's the repentance of Esau, which God hates. That's hypocritical, self-righteous repentance. That's self-righteous uh, religiosity. Rather, the penitence of the heart of the publican, where rather he didn't try to justify himself. He didn't try to excuse himself. He didn't try to find loopholes and ways around these things. It, but rather, he just admitted it. And he just fell before the Lord and said, Lord, I, I, I'm a sinful man. Like, like Peter falling before Jesus said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And rather we see Jesus forgiving Peter and picking up says, says, come with me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. The Lord justifies us by faith. So we see the attitude of the heart. Now, thou art inexcusable, O man. Why? Because, well, we're all guilty. All are breakers of the law. All are guilty. That's why Christ had to come. Because nobody can be sinless. Nobody can be perfect. Nobody can be faultless. So we see its attitude of the heart. It's the belief of faith. For when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. So this is why, why, as Jesus points out, judge righteously. We are to judge. Judgment must begin at the house of God. That if you're going to judge, expect it in return. And this is also how we help hold each other accountable. So when uh, if I see something in your life, then I would point it out in Christ likeness in me. Not 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 damning and putting you down and harsh and being a, a Bible thumper type attitude in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Uh, and so in meekness and mercy and grace in Christ likeness, because as the Lord forgave us, so we should forgive others. How did the Lord forgive us? By grace, fully. And we, we see how does the Lord then hold on to us when we keep faulting and we keep falling and we keep doing things wrong? Does he does he beat us and throw us away? No, he, he understands. He shows long-suffering and patience with us. So should we with others. So should we with others. Long-suffering and patience and meekness and understanding. Helping them because uh, and understanding that, that each other, we're, we're going to fall. I'm going to mess up. Of course, we're to fight against it, resist it. But it's impossible to not sin. Now, somebody say, well, with that attitude, well, no, because the point is because of the flesh, the flesh will oppose, the flesh will fight, and it's impossible to not. That's why we see in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So that when the time comes that if we do slip and fall, the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. If we do slip and fall, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ will help us and the Holy Spirit within us will instruct us and convict us and will bring us to 1 John 1, 9, where we will confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. Because the point of this is to understand is that the law is, is the convictor of sin. It is the revealer, as we see in Galatians 3, the schoolmaster for sin. The law, the point of the law is that well, you can't keep the law. It's impossible to keep the law. 
the law was uh, the law was not not made for the righteous but for the unrighteous for the unholy and the profane the law was made for sin the law was made to expose to shine the light on to reveal to to give understanding of what is sin and that uh, when anyone looks at the law or uses the law all are guilty of the law all are guilty of the law that's what he means by thou condemnest thyself because some people think that they're outside the law that that the law doesn't doesn't apply to them anymore in any way and that that because we're saved by grace yes we're under grace not law so therefore the law you know the, the ten commandments all of that doesn't mean anything to us anymore uh no no because we still use it now as saints we are saved from the condemnation of the law but we use the law differently now now we are no longer under the law we now use the law and we help we use it like a flashlight in the dark so if you need help understanding something it re reveals it gives understanding it, ge it gives uh, some some uh some exposing uh, to the situation but if you're using it unlawfully you're condemning yourself as a hypocrite not understanding that all are guilty for thou that judgest doest the same things that we have a way of thought word or action now like for example an individual may not have gone and prostituted themselves and fornication adultery or whatever but have you lusted of the heart have you looked at, at things not as Jesus points out that lust of the heart is the same as committing adultery it's the same you committed adultery of the heart that hating is the same as murder so we see we are all guilty but we have thought word or action and then when we understand how we are all guilty we'll start to treat each other a bit more carefully a bit a bit more graciously now we see in james chapter 2 verses 8 to 10 for a moment in james chapter 2 verses 8 to 10 but if ye have respect to persons ye commit sin and are convinced of the law's transgressors for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point he is guilty of all he is guilty of all so respect of persons to respect yourself above others to set yourself above others or certain individuals above others as we see with the lord according to the word of god we're all equal we are all equal in the eyes of god no one is better than anyone else we are all equals in the eyes of god now as as we see in galatians 3. now in galatians chapter 3 verse 28 for there is neither jew nor greek there is neither bond nor free there is neither male nor female for ye are all one in christ jesus so we to treat each other with the respect of brothers and sisters in christ of the same family in christ and to any i even it's interesting whenever we come to studies like this it's quite often there's going to be an actual practical application of something actually comes up in this and it did i put up a post uh, some posts on instagram and one individual made a made a, a quite shocking comment about how heretics deserve to burn that 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 they are they are the beyond saving kind of thing they deserve to burn now that attitude right there is literally what this is talking about and as we see in um 
in Luke 9. If we go to Luke chapter 9, verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. To remember who we are, where we came from, and to look look with uh, with love and mercy upon the sinners, upon upon the unsaved, uh, uh, even when they're in their sin and abomination or whatever, or even the the uh, the hip the hypocritical saints who like the Pharisees to to not judge them harshly, but rather to use the word of God in proper righteous judgment of leading them to righteousness because you want to see them turn to the lord and walk as they should we want to see the saints we want to see the wicked and the sinners repent and believe the gospel we want to see them saved we don't want to condemn and damn individuals we want them to be saved we want them to walk with the lord to judge righteously to use the judgment of the word of god righteously to use the law Christ in Christ likeness to forgive to be eager to forgive to be gracious and merciful not condemning and hating not damning not wishing people would burn and that the wrath of God would fall on them rather that they would repent and turn to Christ or what a greater uh, testimony would there be think of Saul of Tarsus damning individuals or looking down and putting down individuals what about Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul to show that just to show the same grace and meekness to show the same love that the Lord showed us when we were yet sinners Christ died for us so if you see a sinner or a brother or sister uh, falling falling in something or struggling with something the heart of Christ is what draws them as we see if we skip ahead a bit uh, cheating a little bit here at the end of verse 4 says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance the goodness of God lead thee to repentance not the not the the hammer the hammer fist of God that would uh, pound you grind you to dust not the wrath of God that leads you to repentance the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance as you see Jesus sitting with the publican sitting with the sinners sitting with all these individuals and he would eat and drink with them and he'd be there sitting there with them God Almighty Almighty Sovereign Lord God who will judge the souls of men and will cast into the lake of fire those whose names are not found written this Almighty Sovereign Lord righteous infinite pure sinless God sitting with sinners and leading them in love and grace and mercy now he didn't condone or tolerate or compromise uh, to accept their sins anyway but he pointed out their sin in such a way that they wanted to listen he didn't water down the doctrine Christ did not water down doctrine and theology he didn't water down righteousness he didn't water down their sin rather he pointed it out in such a way that they wanted to listen to him and that they repented and believed and walked in righteousness so it's it's not what you say it's how you say it it's not what you say it's how you say it so we see that there's there's a right way and a wrong way to preach there's a right way and wrong way to evangelize there's a right way and wrong way to judge 
Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest another doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Look what he says. We are sure that the judgment of God. Now what's the judgment of God? The truths of God, of his word, of everything that it says. That the word of word of God speaks and it reveals that it reveals the hearts of men. It's according to truth against them which commit such things. What things? Back up. Because we see that, that uh, chapter 1 flows into chapter 2. And that the chapter divisions were added later on to help with study of scripture. Easier study of scripture. So actually it's one continuous flowing letter. So you back up the end of, of chapter 1 about the list of sins and abominations. That, that those that do these things. For we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Because the righteousness of God of his word will reveal sin. It will reveal. It, it will pull away the blanket and it will reveal everything that's going on. The righteousness of God, of the truth, of the doctrine of God will reveal sin. Verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, verse 3, that judges them which do such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, that doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? So we see that the Lord sees all hearts. And God will call out sin. We don't have to. Uh, we don't have to stand accountable. Now, again, there are some who think that when it comes time and we stand before the Lord on, on Judgment Day, that we are going to be judged for our sins. Actually, no, because we see that the judgment has been cast upon Christ for the saints. That Christ bore the judgment. He bore the wrath. He bore all of this for us. We will not be judged for our sins on that day. Our sins were, were already dealt with by, by the sacrifice of Christ. Rather, for the saints, we will have to give an account of how we have carried out the work of the Lord. Well, we are not going to be judged for our sins. Now, the sinners of the unsaved, because they are not born again saved, that they have not believed on Christ, that they are still under the condemnation of the law for their sin. They will have to give account for their sin and pay the judgment for their sins themselves. But for us, because Christ has already bore it for us, and that, uh, that the blood of Christ has cleansed us, and we are sealed by the Spirit of Christ, our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we will not be judged for our sins. But we, have, we will have to give an account of how we've carried the, the work of Christ, how we have served the Lord. And he's going to call us out on some things here. However, we can't lose our salvation. I don't think that's a salvationary thing. We can't lose our salvation. Rather, it, it's, it's the same, same as the parable that Jesus told about the master who, who, uh, who went away and he, and he left his work to these men and, and he handed, handed them the, the money and told them to care for the things of the master. And he came back and they had to give an account of how they cared for things while he was away. Same for us. Our master's gone away and he's left us to carry the work and to care for these things until he comes again. Then we'll have to give an account of how we cared for it. That's that's about so, do we really think that we can escape the discipline? We can escape the eye of God. That we can then, get, we can be innocent of sin ourselves in this manner. Where we judge others, but we do the same of heart. 
I may, not, I don't go and fornicate around, but I may look at things secretly. I may uh, take the side glance at individuals or think, or, or I may, I may not be a, a filthy liar, but, but you know, white lies or, you know, whatever. You see how we can all be guilty and pleasures of sin. They say, I don't go and do these sins, but I pleasure in them in entertainment. I may not be a liar, I may not be a fornicator, I may not go and look at things secretly, but what about movies? What about TV shows? What about magazines? What about stuff I look up on Instagram or Facebook? To pleasure them to do them. Be careful we're not hypocrites of heart. Thinkest thou that you can escape? We'll have to give an account. Verse 4, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And he switches gears here. You see in verse 4, about, you may not now go and do these things like them secretly or whatever. You may not be as guilty as that. But even in the judging, you may not be a hypocritical judge, but you may be a vindictive, malicious judge. Because we see, as I talked about earlier, about in verse 4, about the forbearance and long-suffering. The long-suffering of God with us. As we are difficult children. We can be difficult children sometimes. And you know, we can be stubborn. We can be rebellious. We can be apathetic. And uh, we can uh, be all on fire and then get distracted easily. And we are problem children of God. And if anybody says that they're not, well, you just lied. So <laughs> the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, what is the goodness of God? What are the good things of God in, in this manner of character and spirit? We see, we see that in uh, Galatians, it talks about the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. We see that these things... This is how we're supposed to judge. Long-suffering, gentle, good, grace, meekness, mercy, temperance. How, how the Lord shows all these things to us. He doesn't cast us away. He gives us, he gives us ch chance after chance after chance after chance kind of thing. He will never disown us. He'll never cast us away. He never despises us. Yes, the Lord despises sin. He despises the workings of sin. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the, the love of God, the, the infinite love of God. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. And the Lord loves the sinners so much that he gave himself for them he had he atoned for their sins that if they would just believe on him this atonement could be imputed upon them he wants to see them saved he wants to see the struggling saint to be strengthened to walk in righteousness to keep these things on our minds to be careful how we judge careful how we look at others to show the goodness of god in all things that when Christ sat with the publicans and sinners and the drunkards and the harlots, he didn't bring down hellfire on them. He didn't, he didn't bring down a hellfire brimstone sermon at them. But rather, he showed them and he taught them in love, in meekness, in understanding, in grace. And so should we. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. If you're into underlining, highlighting, or marking your Bible, please do so with verse 4. With that line right there. 
the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Because why do you repent? Because you're scared of God? You're scared that he might beat you into the dust? No, because you see what he's done for you. You see how much he loves you. You see how much he cares and what, what he's offering you, what, he, what he's willing to do for you to help you, and, and how in his grace and mercy he holds us and he, he's eager to forgive and he's faithful to us when we're not faithful. How the Lord so loves us and what he did for us on the cross. Because I love him. Because I love Christ. Because I love what he's done for me and how he's willing to forgive me utterly completely he doesn't hold one thing against me the goodness of god leadeth thee to repentance proper repentance not the repentance of esau but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treacherous up unto thyself wrath against a day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of god who will render to man every man according to his deeds just like i talked about and how and how if we are are begrudging if we are hard-hearted, if we are stubborn, impenitent, unwilling to acknowledge that we have sinned and that we are just as guilty, that if we, in our hardness of heart and impenitent heart, keep walking this like the Pharisees, we're going to be bringing upon ourselves a strong retribution, a strong discipline, a strong, a hard hand of God, because He will break us in one way or another to teach us, to help us to understand. Or else we do see in, in discipline of saints, discipline of the saved, that we cannot lose our salvation, but we can lose our life. Well, the Lord, the Lord will just take your life because you are being a, such a difficult, troubled, uh, troubled child. We see in First Corinthians chapter five, verse five. Now, those in the church of Corinth who were unrepentant of their immorality. Now, they were saved as he calls them brethren. But he gives them a warning that if you don't repent of this, you don't stop this. Verse 5, verse Corinthians chapter 5, you'll be delivered unto the devil for the destruction of the flesh, for your spirit will still be saved. The same as Ananias and Sapphira, who are brethren, they are saved, but they are unrepentant of their lying, and they lied to the Holy Spirit. The Lord took their life. So we see discipline can come in many ways. You're treasuring up to yourselves uh, the uh, the uh, the the anger of, of the parent who will discipline you because you're uh, unrepentant, you're, you're stubborn, you're rebellious, you're being disobedient. We see, we see the parent will have to discipline, and sometimes it can be a hard discipline. And our Father will call us out on our sin. He will call out our hypocrisy. He will call out uh, our ignorance, our stubbornness, our rebellion. He will call it out. That's what he's, that's he's warning here. Verse 6, we will render to every man according to his deeds. And don't think that you will escape this. Don't think you're excused of this. Thou art inexcusable. And we see in Acts chapter 10, verse 35. Acts chapter 10, verse 35. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now, what does it mean here? He that feareth him, to fear God. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Now, the fear of the Lord, this is not like, uh, I'm scared of him, you know, uh, he's he's up there and he's angry and he's got that club. No, no, that's that's the, the God of the religion of peace. Um, no, our God is merciful, long-suffering to us. 
The fear of the Lord is holy, reverential worship and respect. Holy, reverential worship and respect. This is not a, a, a terror of God, but we, we see and we know who he is. We know what he's about. We respect him for who he is and we love him and the love and, 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 uh, and that faithfulness of him. Now, we see this fear of the Lord, this proper fear of the Lord, a fear of the Lord of heart, the fear of the Lord of the heart. As Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments to love the Lord. So you got to then kind of reverse the, the, the angle. We're looking at this. Why would you not want to? Why would you not want to walk in righteousness? Why would you not want to repent? Why would you seek to look for loopholes and excuses to excuse your sin, to try and find ways around to keep walking and talking and thinking and working in the ways that you want to of flesh? Why would you not want to keep the commandments of Christ? So we see it's attitude of the heart. And Jesus points out to the Pharisees that they so often that they are so focused on the outward of the washing of cups and of pots, uh, um, uh, maintaining the outward appearance. But inwardly, they're full of dead men's bones, as he says, full, full of rottenness, and filth. They have not the love of God. You, you, you have not the love of God in you, as he says. So this love of the Lord is more than just in acknowledgement of doctrine acknowledgement of uh, theology acknowledgement of word it's it's more than just a carrying out of religious traditions the love of the lord carries into everything that you do even in eating and drinking you do all to the glory of god because you want to because you love him and when you have this kind of a love of the lord this kind of fear of the lord that he is a part of everything that you do this christ likeness will flow outwardly and you, will, and you will demonstrate to others the same way that the Lord has demonstrated himself to you. That you will render to every man according as Christ would. You see in verse 6 here, Romans 2. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. Now, so should we. But how does the Lord do it? Now, we do see the same thing later on. We see about, about rebuking and calling out sin and, and exposing the heretics and the wolves. Now, it's not, the, it's not me that's doing it. It's the Spirit of God reveals, uh, reveals through us, will speak through us, will work through us. He gives us the words with which to say. He guides our feet, guides our hands. He guides our actions. He guides our, our speaking. He guides our preaching. He guides our calling out the sin he gives us the words that we use when we are rebuking the heretics as you see uh paul calling elimus the sorcerer or or peter call, calling them out or paul dealing with the judaizers and galatians we see the language used and the attitude that's proceeding is not my own it's not my own the how how do we render to each other how do we deal with each other according to each other's deeds how would the Lord do it? The Lord is not a vindictive, malicious individual. The, the, the Lord is not, I want to be careful with this. The Lord is not a Bible thumper. That's when we think about this. He doesn't come down hard-handed on everything. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's understanding. 
he gives chances. And we see even as Jesus says to his disciples, ye know not what spirit ye are of. What is the spirit that, that you are using to deal with sin? How are you viewing it? A watered-down, lukewarm, washed-out type of approach? A hard-handed, iron-fisted uh, uh, rule of tyranny type of approach? Like the Pharisees? Or an understanding, eager to forgive, eager to show grace, eager to show mercy? Because yes, as we see in chapter 1, these individuals uh, are being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and all these, they're deserving of hell because of their sin, but so were we. So were we. At one time, so were we. But how did the Lord save you? How did the Lord call you? How did the Lord call you? That while we're in that state, how did he approach you? How did he teach you? How did he show you? What led you to the cross? What led you to faith? Show this unto others. Even those that, that you might hate. We all have those individuals and we ought not to be like that. We ought not to speak evil of dignitaries as the Bible says. That's what the devils do. Speak evil of no man as the Bible says. Speak evil of no man. Render not evil for evil. But rather to pray for them. That they would be saved uh, the, that the Saul of uh, that the Sauls of Tarsus would become the, become Pauls. Think about what we were before we were saved: blasphemers and heretics and enemies of God, lovers of sin. Now look who we are now. Can the Lord not save uh, save these others that we despise? Can He not save them to the uttermost? Because if we will not forgive others, how can the, how will the Lord forgive us? We see this as the Lord pointed out to his disciples in the uh, the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Thou art inexcusable. Whosoever are that judgest, for when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. We need to be mindful of how we approach situations. How we approach uh, the sinners, how we approach sin and abomination things that we we may personally really despise and we just hate it we speak evil of it there, there's a difference between hating sin and hating the sinner we're all sinners we all sin we are all guilty when we all take a glance at the law we're all guilty of that we are saved from the condemnation of the law and we would desire that others would be the same as you are, I once was. As I am, you shall be. Like that saying. We desire that they would be saved. Yes, scripture says to, to love righteousness and hate iniquity. But be very careful that this hate of iniquity doesn't carry over onto the heads of individuals. We don't hate individuals. We hate what they're doing. We hate what, what they've done. We hate what they're carrying out. But we want them to be saved. And we'd be willing to sit down with them as Christ did. Would you be willing to sit down with sinners? Have a coffee with them? To eat with them? To speak to them of the righteousness of Christ? If you can't say yes, then that's where you need to start. Because you're not judging righteously. You're not judging righteously. If, if you're... If you're 
hatred of sin is so much that you cannot even look at sinners without despising them, you have not the love of God in you. You know not what spirit you're of. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Our approach to sin. Our view of sin. Our understanding of the sin state of others. That we got to be careful how we look at. How we treat others. Because the, the, the Christians in Rome here, as Paul is writing to, that, that, it, that they take a look at what they're surrounded by. Pagan Rome. Pagan Rome of immorality to the nth degree, the, he, the hedonistic temples and, the, and, and everything else going on and the, the lewdness and morality and the wickedness and the idolatry and the abomination just flowing down the streets. Be careful about despising the individuals because Christ died for them too. Be careful about hating those in positions of authority because Christ died for them too. Apostle Paul, near the end of his life, was brought up before Caesar. Nero. Nero, the madman himself. Nero, who butchered and slaughtered Christians like you wouldn't believe. He did things you can't even really speak of. It's so vile, so disgusting, so heinous are the things that he did to the saints. And the Lord gave Nero a chance. Because Paul stood before Nero and told Nero the gospel. That if Nero had to just listen softened his heart and believed on the lord nero could have gotten saved saul of tarsus did it's he who breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the saints blasphemies against christ who would torture saints to re, to to blaspheme christ to recant christ he would destroy the churches got saved and became the apostle paul nobody is beyond the grace of god Nobody is beyond salvation. Anyone can be saved. It doesn't matter who or what they are. We see in Ezekiel 18 verse 4, God says, I own all the souls. Because some people say, well, well, these have sold their soul to the devil and they can't be saved. That's not Bible. That's anti-Bible. We see in scripture, God owns all the souls. How can you sell that which God owns? How can the devil own what God owns? God owns all the souls, and he will weigh the souls of whether or not they have believed or, or they, they have recanted Christ. They have denied Christ. He will render to every man according to his deeds. And the deeds here is not the keeping of law. It's not the keeping of law. But rather, we see in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verse 28, and they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. The Lord calls all men everywhere to repent, for God is not willing that any should perish. So why should we, why would we look at individuals and, and, and desire, wish, or state that they deserve to go to hell? They should burn and that they're beyond salvation, beyond grace, or whatever else because of sins that they've committed. Heinous, horrible, wretched sins. 
Did Christ not atone for all sin? Does the blood of Christ not wash away all sin? Well, some are guilty of, of horrible mistreating of children. Does the blood of Christ not forgive that? Does the blood of Christ not forgive murder, lying, adultery, fornication, theft, blasphemy, heresy, immorality of any kind? Does the blood of Christ not wash away all sin? Or does it only wash away some sin? Don't limit the blood of Christ. Don't limit the mercy of God. Don't limit the grace of God. Because of our view, because of our uh, our discrimination of sin, because our hate of sin, don't discriminate against the souls. Don't discriminate against lost souls because you think that they should deserve a greater damnation than you deserve. God will render as he sees fit according to his word of his mercy, of his grace, according to his standard. And God's standard is that anyone can be saved. It doesn't matter what they've done. But all can be saved. All can be saved. If they would just but believe. <clears throat> who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient, patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and, immor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey un uh, unrighteous. They obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Of the Jew first also the Gentile. Those that obey unrighteousness. They obey unrighteousness. They obey indignation. They obey wrath. They obey tribulation and anguish that doeth evil. The souls that do evil. Now, we see the same. We go back to John chapter 6. And we want verse 38-39. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. To do, to do good, to work good, or to work evil, do evil. What shall we do that might work the works of God? This is the work of God that you believe on him who he has sent. So the obeying unrighteousness is, is denying Christ. Doing evil is not doing the not obeying, not heeding the call of Christ. All sins shall be forgiven them to the sons of men, and all blasphemies, or whatsoever they shall blaspheme. But whosoever shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall never receive forgiveness. Because what is that? that? Now what does the Holy Spirit of God do? The Holy Spirit of God convicts of sin. Opens the eyes of the blind. Hebrews 6, 4-6 gives you the, the taste, the understanding of the enlightenment of what Christ did for you. It gives you the understanding of what the, what the law is trying to get you to see. The law points you to the altar of sacrifice. The law convicts of sin. And the Holy Spirit of God uses the law to convict you of your sin, to bring you to the altar, to see the blood sacrifice atonement for your sins that you would believe upon Christ. That's the Spirit of God does. Blaspheming the Holy Ghost in this context is not just speaking evil against the Spirit of God. It's not just cursing the Holy Spirit, but rather, why are you speaking evil? Why are you cursing him? The attitude of the heart. The hardness of the heart. And when I harden my heart against the moving of the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, I cannot receive forgiveness. Because I, I am resisting the calling of the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit of God. 
I can't receive forgiveness if I'm not acknowledging what the Spirit of God is doing. That's mistreatment, blasphemy, irreverence, disrespect against the Spirit of God because you are resisting what the Spirit of God is trying to bring upon your mind. And when you see the gospel track, nah, I don't want that. You see the street preacher, you curse and make fun of it. You make fun of, fun of the cross, make fun of the churches, make fun of Christ, make fun of the Bible. You can't receive forgiveness if you're in that hardened state. To obey unrighteousness, to do evil, you will receive wrath. You, re you will receive judgment. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, as he says here, of the Jew first, also of the Gentile. It doesn't matter who you are. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good. To work good, Christ-likeness, love of Christ, love of righteousness. That worketh good to the Jew first, also to the Gentile. doesn't matter who or what you are. That's Galatians 3.28. That in Christ is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, all are one in Christ. Verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. For there is no respect of persons with God. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you are. doesn't matter how many degrees you have. doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter how much fame, notoriety, power, position, whatever. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a pauper in the street or if you're a billionaire. It doesn't matter if you're a king or a beggar. It doesn't matter who or what you are, male or female, Jew or Gentile. doesn't matter what color, what language, what nationality. doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. There's no respect of persons with God. For God hath made, uh, made of all, uh, all men of the earth of one blood. Some people discriminate by way of color or language or nationality. Some people discriminate by way of sins. Well, I didn't do those kinds of sins. There's no respect of persons of God. All have sinned. All are fallen away. All are become corrupt. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. And the moment you think yourself better than someone else, you've broken the law of God. The moment you start looking down your nose at others, you've broken Christ-likeness. You've, you've defied the very point of the calling of the saint to go to lost sinners, to plead, to, to plead for them, to love them, to go to them as Christ did, to plead, to pull some out of the fire, to show them the truth of Christ. There's no respect of persons with God. Neither should we. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't respect you. That's not what that means. This means of putting others above others. Putting others below others. Don't do that. God doesn't do that. We shouldn't do that. doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what they've said. It doesn't matter how bad or how wicked they are. They can be saved if they would soften their heart and believe on Christ. There's no respect of persons with God. Now, as you see here, verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. Now, what does he mean by that? As, again, was he talking about Jew and Gentile? That, that, that the law came to the Jews, right? So when he's talking about outside the law, he's talking about Gentiles. In the law, he's talking about the Jews, right? For as many have sinned without law shall also perish without law. But as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. All are guilty. And all go to the same same place. I'm a Gentile or Jew. Doesn't matter. Verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now, what does this mean? What, what is, what's a doer of the law? Well, what does the law demand? 
we go to Galatians chapter 3. The law demands a penalty for sin. The law demands a, a death and blood. That without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law reveals sin. The law demands there must be an atonement. There must be a sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ fulfilled that. He fulfilled that. Come not to, to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, as Christ says. To fulfill the law. To fulfill the, 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 the penalty of the breaking of the law, the condemnation of the law. He fulfilled that by his shedding of blood, his death, and his resurrection. The doers of the law shall be justified because you are obeying the call of the law as you are acknowledging it. You're not excusing it. You're not trying to find ways around it. You acknowledge it. I am guilty. I am a sinner. I must be saved. And the law says, okay, there must be a sacrifice for that then. Jesus Christ fulfilled that. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he saves me from my sin, from the condemnation of the law. I obeyed it. There was a lamb sacrifice for my sin. The law demands a lamb sacrifice for sins, and Jesus Christ fulfilled that. I obeyed the work, the, the calling there. I, I did what must be done. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am saved. Now, verse 14, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. As we see, as the word of God says, for the law of God is written upon the hearts. That all know lying is wrong. Inherently, all know theft is wrong. All know murder is wrong. All know that doing these things that sin is wrong. How do they know this? Where does this come from? Where does this ingrained knowledge just come from god wrote it upon the heart that that there's this this deep subconscious thing within us that convicts us that pricks the heart that some try to suppress this some sear their conscience with a hot iron that the more and more and more and more they do this the more they dull and dull and dull the pricks that would prick the heart and pretty soon they don't feel it anymore they become so callous to it they don't even feel it anymore but where does the initial ingrained knowing come from god wrote it upon their hearts that our conscience convicts us where does this come from for when the gentiles because we see that that the lord by the prophets and and uh, spoke to them that spoke to the jews and we see the mosaic law came to the jews there it came came to them came to israel didn't come to the gentiles but how do the gentiles those who have not the law understand how do sinners who've never heard the bible before how where does this conviction of sin come from for when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. 
in the day when God shall judge the, the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So you see, as Paul pointing out, as the, the gospel of Jesus Christ would save us from the condemnation, that all will stand before the Lord. And people standing up before them say, well, 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 I, I, I've never heard. I didn't know. And the Lord said, you did know. And he'll cause them to remember. You remember when you told these lies and you knew it was wrong. You did it anyways. And also, this also brings up the question about what about those who have never heard? We've also addressed this. Now, actually, these individuals don't exist uh, because the word of God has gotten into all the world, as the Bible says. We see in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, how how there, there are people who have gotten saved out of every single kindred, to tongue, tribe, and nation, and people group. So the word of God has gotten to all the world. All have heard. And on top of that, we also do see that the conviction of sin is upon the hearts of every single individual. It doesn't matter where they are or what they're doing or whatever. Nobody is beyond excuse. Thou art, thou art inexcusable. Every single individual that stands before God will have to give an account. And the books will be open to see who is saved and who is not. Now, you see, their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Because when you see someone go and you see someone, like, steal, steal something from a store and run away, you know that what they did just did was wrong. They broke the law. Not broke the law of God. The law of God came first. They, you know what they did was wrong. When you hear someone tell a lie, you, you feel it in yourself. You know that that's wrong. They shouldn't do that. The conscience accusing us, excusing. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, you won't get away with anything. Every single thing you've ever done wrong will be pulled up on the carpet. Every single thing that, that people have done doesn't matter how little, doesn't matter how big, doesn't matter if it was secret or public, doesn't matter. Every single secret, every single sin will be pulled up on the carpet. And only those who are saved by our Lord Jesus Christ will be saved from the condemnation of the sin. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge, and of the truth and law. Thou therefore which te te teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Individuals who claim to be Christians. Who say they know the law of God. They say, they, say they, they, they keep the law and they work righteousness and they do all these things. You, you think because you know the word, you think that because you go to church, you do all the, all the traditions, you help in charity, you pray, you repent, and you do all these things, you teach others and you quote scripture, you think you're going to escape it? Thou that teachest men should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? You, you bring up the law and you bring up the word and use it for others, but you don't use it for yourself. You don't think that it applies to you but because you're saved. You think that it doesn't apply to you. 
Thou that, that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest a boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith, Paul is saying. Who do we think we are? All because we're saved, do we think that these things don't apply to us? We think that because we're saved by grace, or held by grace, or kept by grace, and that you can't lose your salvation, you can just go and do, be, have, whatever you want? It doesn't work that way. The, our liberty in Christ is not liberty to sin. Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? You say you love the word of God, you love righteousness, and then look at your entertainment, for example. I keep bringing that up because it's the easiest thing to use. Look at your entertainment. Look at how you walk and talk. Look at your testimony unto the sinners. Is your behavior, is your lifestyle, the secrets of your life honorable unto God? Is your language honorable unto God? Is your behavior honorable unto God? Your entertainment honorable unto God? Or do you water down sin? Well, I don't have a problem with it. But does God? All because you're saved, does that mean you get to go and sin, do whatever you want? Use not your liberty as a stumbling block. We see James chapter 2, verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. But this is where the beauty of the forgiveness and the long-suffering, the grace and mercy of God, as we see in chap uh, James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, sorry, not James, what am I talking about? First John. First John chapter 2. Verse 1, my little brethren, these things write unto you that ye sin not. Brethren, the saved, my little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we, the saved, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Sin is not in accordance of how I think it is. It's not what denominational distinctives call it. Sin is not how I feel, what I think, my opinions, the commentaries, the catechisms, the councils, the creeds. Sin is what God says it is. If God says it's abomination, then it's abomination and there's no question. If God says that such and such a thing is wrong and it, not, it ought not to be in your life, then that's what it is, and it ought not to be in your life, regardless how you feel what you think. What God says it is. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Well, I don't go and sleep around and fornicate around. What about your thought life? What about your entertainment? What about your books? What about your video games? The pictures and the images that, that that raise up lust and desire and that adulterous, uh, fornicating heart attitude. Dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Do you set other things as more important than God? More important than, than the, the Word of God? Do you, do you limit your time with the Word of God because you're too busy in other things of life? That's idolatry. 
Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. We can cause the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme by when they when they look at our lives and they, they see that we call ourselves saints, but there's nothing saintly. Our attitude, our behavior, does it honor God? Does it glorify Him? We may look look down at, at the at the wicked and the sinners and the abominable, and we and we call that out. Oh, that's horrible! Look what they're doing! Look what they're doing to our countries! And you no, know, the horrible leaders and all this. And we put down, we condemn it. But we're just as guilty. We may not be on our way to hell, but we can be surely bringing a form a form of hellish trouble in our lives as you see by allowing doors open for devils to come in and ruin our testimony ruin our walk ruin ruin our devotional life ruin our prayer life ruin our thought life it can it can bring in the fire of hell of our of our understanding uh, of wrath and and gracelessness and faithlessness and apathy and all this other stuff that the devils can ruin our faith ruin our understanding That by our behavior, by our entertainment, by our testimony, we can blaspheme God even unknowingly. Don't know this is what we're doing. We need to be very careful. We need to be very careful. Verse 25. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Now we see certain individuals thinking that they had to hold themselves to the law and circumcise themselves and follow all the Judaistic principles and traditions and all this stuff. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Can you keep the law? Can you keep the law? <laughs> there are certain individuals who think they can keep the law. You can't keep the law, and that's the entire point of the law. That you can't keep it. No one can. If you could keep the law, you don't need Jesus. But all have sinned, all are fallen away, all are become corrupt. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. All are guilty of the law. No one can keep the law. For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his circumcision be counted for a circumcision? Shall not his uncircumcision be counted for a circumcision? It's circumcision of heart. Not flesh. Not flesh. Now what does this mean? This is this is another way, if you could say, what Paul is saying right here is just is this another way of, of saying 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. Circumcision of heart is the determination of the heart to walk in the righteousness of God. This is 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And the question is, why? Why are you doing this? Because you love him. Not because you have to. You want to. Not have to. We're not under law. It's not a have to. We're under love of grace. It's a want to. 
Now, why are you sanctifying the Lord God in your heart? That's that determining that the things of the Lord be ever prominent in your life in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, to all to the glory of God. This is circumcision of heart. Of, of, of keeping yourself in the righteousness of God because you want to, because you love him, because you hate the flesh and you hate sin. A love of righteousness, hate of, hate of iniquity. <clears throat> to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer. Now, how, how would you then be answering individuals in grace and love and mercy and meekness and long-suffering with a penitent heart, with understanding that you see your you see yourself in them you see what your flesh could be you could see where you came from and you want to help them you want to draw them to christ but sanctify the lord god in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that's in you why are they coming to ask you about the reason of the hope within you because they're seeing something they're seeing a demonstration they are seeing your works now we sing proper works not works to try to earn your salvation or maintain to keep your salvation or whatever that's stupid because that's not even a thing but rather works are demonstration of your love of christ faith without works is dead and he's talking about uh, to christians who are already saved and he's talking about charity and christian behavior for the purpose of promotion of the faith not maintenance of salvation because you say you're a Christian, you say you are, you say you love God, you love Christ, you love the righteousness of God, but there's no demonstration, your faith is dead. It, it, your, your, your words are cheap. What you say has, has no validation, no proof or justification. Prove it. Prove what you're saying. You say you love the Lord, prove it. You, you say you love Christ, prove it. You say you love the word of God, you love the righteousness of God, prove it. That's what he's saying here. Be ready always to give an account. They're going to come and ask of you. Now look what he says. Now how, how do you answer these individuals? And what we were talking about? How are we supposed to answer the unsaved? Answer those who are struggling? Those that ask you a reason of the hope that is in you. In meekness and fear. In meekness and fear. That's the fear of the Lord. Holy, reverential worship and respect. The fear of the Lord. Verse 16, having a good conscience. Remember, we talked about conscience. Having a good conscience, that whereas they may speak evil of you, whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Isn't that interesting? That they may be ashamed that falsely accuse. For it is better, better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Verse 27 of Romans 2. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who, who by the letter of circumcision does transgress the law? That's the sanctification of righteousness. The righteousness of God. The justification of God. Okay. And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision just transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Now, is it meaning here uh, of a follower of the law of God? A follower of the law of God. Now, I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. 
And when you get born again saved, you don't actually become a Jew. There are some crazy people out there who think that when you get born again saved, you, you actually become a Jew. No, no, you're a Gentile who is adopted into the family of Abraham by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're a Gentile. Now, when he's talking about here, he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward of the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. The sanctification of the heart, of 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 uh, following and obeying the calling of God, of the law of God, to convict of sin, to bring you to righteousness, to follow the Lord, the followers of Jesus Christ, the disciples of Christ. That's this is just another explanation of that kind of language. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Because the outward is not is not what's important. It's what's inward. It's of the heart. Because when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what naturally, instinctually is going to happen? Focus on the inward. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you give yourself to prayer and devotion of the word and, 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 and love of God and walking in righteousness. What is this going to do to the outward? It's going to reflect. But if you're so focused on the outward, you're not paying attention to the inward. You'll be like a Pharisee. The outward will look all beautiful. You'll be doing all the things, but where's the heart in it? See, you focus on you focus on the spirit. You focus on the spirit. Focus on the spirit. You focus on the heart, on the inward. As Jesus addressed the Pharisees who came and accused his disciples, why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not what enters the man that defiles him, but that which comes out of the heart. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Righteousness proceeds from the inward, from the spirit of God, which dwell, dwells in the heart of every believer. And circumcision is that of the heart, of the uh, to sanctify the Lord God in your heart daily, praying without ceasing. But circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. It's not the letter of the law. Whose praise is not of men, but of God. To praise the Lord always. To pray without ceasing. To love the brethren. To plead the sinners. To walk in righteousness, to pray in spirit, to be long-suffering and gentle, sanctifying the Lord God in your heart always, in all things, in everything that you do, evening, eating, and drinking, dwell to the glory of God, understanding where we came from, what we are. That if we were left to our own volition for five minutes, we would be damning ourselves to hell. We are those types of individuals. The grace of God which holds us. The faith of God which saves us. The spirit of God which seals us. We walk into him and not our own understanding. That our understanding should be under the understanding of the righteousness of God, of the faith of God, of the mercy and grace of God. Of his mercy. See, Paul is pointing out to the church in Rome here that just as they're surrounded by all the pagans and heathens and all the stuff that's going on in Rome, yes, it's disgusting, it's horrible. The wrath of God is upon them. But God doesn't want them to go to hell. 
God wants them to be saved. To show them the same mercy that he, that he showed us. To show them the same mercy that he showed us. For the moment that we stop looking at them in mercy and grace, we're no longer looking through the eyes of God. Romans chapter 2. So there you go. All right, so I hope that has been a help and a comfort and encouragement. If you have any comments, questions, issues, insights on that one, on Romans chapter 2, please, by all means, go ahead and ask away. Be glad to hear from you. And uh, we do have a question here. Um, a user here says, Christ is king. Amen, he is. He has a question. My pastor has said you must repent to be saved. Should that be a deal breaker? Um, well, let me ask you a question. Saved from what? Save from what? Well, save from my sins, right? Okay, save from my sins. Salvation from what? Salvation from sin. Redeemed from what? Redeemed from the condemnation of sin. Okay, so how am I saved? How am I born again saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you believing on Jesus Christ? Why do you need to? Why do you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, because I'm not saved. What has separated you from God? Your sin. What is condemning you to hell? My sin. Why did Jesus Christ die on the cross? For my sins. So what did Jesus say in Mark 1.15? Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is repentance then according to the word of God? Okay. How am I saved if I'm not repentant of my sins? If I'm not seeking to be saved from my sins... How am I saved? Saved from what? How am I saved if I'm not seeking to be saved from my sins? You see, the problem is there's individuals who have turned repentance into a form of works. That's wrong. Repentance is not works. Repentance is not works. Repentance is the heart state acknowledgement of the sin state. That I realize that I'm a sinner. I see what Christ did for me. I see what the what the weight of my sin has done and what it took to bring about an atonement for sins. I see my sins, how I'm a sinner. I say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. That's repentance unto salvation. That's repentance unto salvation. If you are not repentant of your sins, then how, what makes you think you're saved? Saved from what? If you want to be saved, but not saved from your sins, that doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. So, yes, repentance is a requirement for salvation but it's not a work. So you're not working repentance. Like that's a Catholic repentance. Biblical repentance, I like to use this kind of explanation. I'm going this way down the road. I'm driving this way down the road. I realize I'm going the wrong way. I should be going this way. I should be going the opposite direction. So I turn around and I go the other direction. That's called repenting on the road. Now the word of God gives us a direction, not just any direction. But there's only one way, one truth, one life. So I repent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation from sin is repentance of sin unto salvation. You're, you're turning your back on sin by going the other direction. I realize that this is wrong. This is condemning me. This is damning me. This is what Jesus Christ died for. His blood was shed for to, to forgive me of, to save me from. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins by the riches of his grace. 
So our sins are forgiven by the riches of his grace, unmerited favor. To be redeemed means to be bought out, saved, to, to be changed, made new. Saved, redeemed, brought out of my sins by grace, not by works. So we see grace. Now I see that I'm a sinner. I'm lost. Enlightenment comes upon me. I'm lost in my sins. Lord, save me from my sins. That's repentance unto salvation. If you're not repentant of your sins, you're not saved. So yes, there, there must be a desire to be saved from your sins. Or else saved from what? So yeah. So it comes down to uh, the understand that what type of uh, what type of repentance is that pastor talking about? So I'd want to know, is he talking about a works form of repentance or the acknowledgement of the sin state? Okay. Angela says, seeing people the way God sees people was a game changer for me. Amen. And when I start talking about and thinking about others and the way God loves them, I start to see how God loves me. Amen. And Angela says, also, it has the bonus of taking hate and bitterness from my heart. Amen. 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 Exactly. That how you got to think about this as... Uh, my older brother, uh, years ago, made this statement, and it's stuck with me ever since. About how Jesus sat with publicans and sinners. Jesus sat with sinners. Drunkards, harlots, blasphemers, all kinds. He sat with them. He ate with them. He drank with them. He spoke to them in such a way that they wanted to hear him. They wanted to hear him. We should seek to imitate that. Jesus did not condone, tolerate, water down sin. He did not water down righteousness. He did not water down uh, doctrine or any of that kind of thing. But he presented it in such a way of gentleness of helping the sinners to understand how they were sinners they need to be saved from their sin. So if Christ can do that and he calls us to imitate him, we should seek to be more, more graceful uh, to others in our own lives, to imitate Christ's likeness and meekness and mercy just like that. Exactly. And we see how this is how the Lord treats them, this is how the Lord treats us. And how much more us who are no longer children of wrath, who are no longer lost and condemned, but rather we are children of the Most High God. How much more must the Lord look upon us now, now that we're saved, we're His children. We are born again, saved, and dwelt with the Spirit of God. How much more does He look, up, look down upon us? That makes us all the more love Him more. So yeah. Alright, so there you go. So, uh, I hope this study has been a help and encouragement and a blessing to you. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining in. As well, if you appreciate these studies, give this a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon. So you know we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other studies and goodies over there. As well as check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We've got links to all their platforms, a bunch of other goodies there as well. And with that... Thank you so much for joining in. God bless you, folks. I hope this study has been a help to you. And God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.